What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, August 1st, 2022, and this week's episode, The Champs Regain the Belts. We'll be talking about UFC 277 and the results of the pay-per-view championship fights and the highlights from what became a very eventful main card. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. MMA villain, you know, public enemy number one may have to rethink his schedule. And then, of course, we'll finish it off by talking about this Friday's event, UFC Vegas 59 and the light heavyweight bout between Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Yeah, uh, what? Some good fights over the weekend, nothing, you know, didn't blow your, knock your socks off, right? But not too bad. And uh, Mr. Jake Paul back in the news, not surprised. But, oh, it's your um, favorite kind of week. <laughs> also, uh, you know, I already told you, but to anyone listening, my son is hanging out today in the office with me. So you might hear uh, our third our third host on the mic a little bit. <laughs> Inadvertently, <laughs> not on purpose. All good, all good. Well, yes. let's talk about this. Um, I mean, let's dig into this main event. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't predict five rounds ahead of time as it got going. I did not predict it would actually make it all five rounds. But that's exactly what we got. Amanda Nunes taking on Juliana Pena. Um, I think the story of the fight was obviously the counter striking of Amanda just she came out in the southpaw stance which was not her usual and Juliana Pena just seemed to struggle with getting the read from there I will say it wasn't the most beautiful striking display even from Amanda even though she was doing fantastic however she just was able to land those clean shots. And you know how powerful Amanda is. Um, a record three knockdowns in one round. I think it was five knockdowns total. Um, eventually, it became a lather, rinse, repeat type of fight with uh, Juliana kind of trying to surge forward and, you know, take the fight to her, make it ugly, make something happen, you know, just take that space away. And just more often than not, she would just get clipped by one of those clean shots and suddenly she had to back off. Now, I was a little surprised, but I do understand Amanda chooses to grapple rounds three through five, even though she was doing very well on the feet. And I do take that to be a sign that she was trying to be more efficient. She knew she could stay on top of Juliana. She knew she wasn't in trouble. Yes, there were submission attempts, but I'm going to be honest, I never felt like any of them was ever dramatic. Okay, you know, do you remember George St. Pierre, Dan Hardy? Well. I'm trying to think of a good story. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I'm trying to think of like, okay, it's like one of those highlights. I'm trying to think of a important fight where you were really, really close to getting a submission. Okay, oh, Brian Ortega, uh, Volkanovski, yeah, yeah. yeah. I never felt like one of those submissions was that close. Never felt like one of those submissions was that close. And I do think that that's why, uh, sorry, Amanda chose to keep going to the, going to the mat with uh, Juliana. And look, she rides that out to the decision. She leaves Juliana pretty bloody, pretty tore up. Pena does say that it only took a couple stitches, 
Um, that's a great plastic surgeon. That's all I'm going to say about that. If you could fix all that with just a couple stitches. But um, long story short, Amanda Nunes routes Juliana Pena to regain the Women's Bantamweight Championship. What were your thoughts? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I was actually pleased with the fight you know it was a more of a war than i think even though i predicted it going to five rounds it was more of a war than i expected and thinking about the 135 pound women's division i can't recall the last time if we've ever seen you know a, a real championship brawl um this was one-sided for the most part okay i'm not pretending it wasn't but because Pena is just so darn just strong, durable, you know, all these words that you probably don't want attributed to you because it just means you can take a punch really well. But she is all those things. She is the dog in the fight. And she made it into a five-round event. What was impressive was how focused Nunez was. She had a really nice boxer stance. Her boxing was great. That was the, the, the highlight for me. She always has great striking, great hands, but it was very disciplined this time. And those hooks, those knockdowns that she was executing on Pena, nobody else could have withstood those blows over and over and over again. And so for better or worse, Juliana Pena, you know, thick skull, strong spirit, uh, unwavering will was able to to last five rounds. And not only last, but, you know, doing um, offering up, throwing up submission attempts for the last three rounds, th- two and a half rounds. Yeah, were any of them close? There was an arm bar that was that got to the realm of closeness. But what I liked about it was that she never stopped trying. I mean, she was just in it to win it. And when it was clear that wasn't going to happen, basically by round three, she was just in it to, to, to give as good as she could back to Nunez. I think... It was clear that Juliana Pena's fighting style is still in that old school arena, you know, where it's winging the arms, um, the footwork isn't great, but she still has that natural power. And she caught Nunez with some good shots in the first two rounds. I think that's part of why Nunez went to the ground for the for the you know second half of the fight. But ultimately, I think Nunez reminded us that she's one of the best at the top there with, with Shevchenko. And Pena showed us her strong will. She has power. But the the finesse, the flow, the skill set that she needs to beat someone like Nunes, it's just, it's not natural to her. So her, her greatest asset is, you know, more internal. And just one last thing before I pass it back to you. Um, I did not like Nunez dancing over Juliana Pena in the last seconds of the fight. I know she was happy. This was a great accomplishment for her to win her belt back um, and to get the double champ status, which Joe Rogan, you know, correctly pointed out, isn't isn't much to, to brag about when the 45 division is basically non-existent. However, I just thought that was bad sportsmanship. I mean, if you want to dance, wait till you're standing next to you know the ref and they're going to raise your arms up but but don't do it over the the body of Pena before the fight's even over so it just left a bad taste in my mouth but otherwise yeah I mean Nunez is, Nunez is a killer and she showed it again 
I will say I felt like they had a level of enough beef that I I kind of got it. Now, mind you, she didn't go full Stipe Miocic dancing the jig over yeah. the, you know, <laughs> the fallen body of Daniel Cormier. Yeah. But um, okay, all right, I, I can respect that. Yeah. Um, look, uh, Juliana Pena did not have this sterling record, relatively speaking, going into the first fight with Amanda, and I think that um. I don't know. I, I think something akin to the dominance that we saw Saturday was kind of what we expected in December. And of course, look, she got the win and she did what I think any fighter, if I were a fighter, if I were a fighter who just scored one of the biggest upsets in the history of the sport would do. I capitalized on it and I tried to, you know, what I always say it should be the number one priority of every fighter, secure the bag. She went out right. there. She made the most out of it. She talked to Mario Lopez on the Ellen show, which <laughs> let's just say it. People have been saying for years, it feels like a toss up to have Amanda on be a guest on that show. Never happened. You know what? The universe works in some weird ways. I don't know what else to say. She had the Ultimate Fighter. She had the Zip Recruiter commercial that played before every episode of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, she really capitalized on this time. Now, look, she turns in that performance. I don't really know how much of that is going to be still there now. It kind of feels like she might be relegated back to the middle of the pack after that one. And, you know, essentially because we do have some stuff going on. Now, we have Kellen Vieira. Kellen Vieira is now coming off of back-to-back victories over Holly Holm and Misha Tate. It kind of feels like she should be the next one, you know, next woman up. Um, we also have Irene Aldana, who hasn't fought since she knocked out, um, oh my gosh, Yana Kunitskaya. Mm -hmm. And let me double check where the heck is her next fight. I know she's booked. I know it, it's just, I'm just blanking on it. Macy Chesson, um, coming up at the, uh, September pay-per-view with Hamzad and Nate. Um, by the way, that's a big fight because you think about Macy, Macy just beat Norma Dumont, which for all intents and purposes, was probably the number one featherweight contender, as tough as that is to say and articulate. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can't say that... Uh, how do I put this? It should be Catelyn. I could see Irene. If Chaison... Okay, look, Chaison is kind of uh, one of those uh, um, fighters... In the last couple of years, she's had a lot of cancellations. She is kind of one and one in the uh, in her last two with Raquel Pennington and Norma at 45. I could see Chaison if she looks really great. I think Irene could get it just by process of elimination. But I think that this one should be Ketlin. I know that Ketlin does not carry that, you know, pizzazz and name value that Holly and Misha Tate did. But the fact is, she's the one who went out there and got those victories. So it should be an all-Brazilian Brazil, all women's bantamweight title fight next. What about you? I agree. That, that's just the one that makes the most sense. And size-wise, it, it matches up to, you know, for the most part, these days at, at 135, everyone's pretty much on the same, you know, weight wavelength, if you will. Um, but, but Ketlin and Nunez, they have that little extra, you know, pop. And so that that's a good matchup, just like Pena did, except, you know, Pena has pop, but she just doesn't have the skill to, to put that together in a meaningful way. Ketlin Vieira is a, is a much better striker. So I really like that matchup a lot. 
Um, and Irene Aldana, even though I love her boxing, it's beautiful. I think uh, I think you're right. I think it's a Brazilian showdown. My only concern is that you know Nunes says she wants to take a break, which is fine. But I'd like to see the ball rolling here because I I swear to you, I think if she doesn't get going by the end of the year, there's going to be an interim belt, and I'm okay with that because it just mixes things up at 135 in a fun way for me. Usually I don't like those, but this one's okay. Um, but I think we have enough enough you know fighters at the top that it's worth considering if we're if we're looking at 2023 without a without a defense i feel like you gotta think if she look i i know amanda looked pretty busted coming out of that one these fighters are like wolverine they all heal really fast because they're in such great shape that being said um if, if if we're not talking about a title defense by january I think for Ketlin, it becomes very uh, stressful because now it's like, okay, you already know that you're not going to get your title fight before Irene and Macy. Um, Once again, I think that the strength of schedule coming off beating Misha, beating um, Holly should get the job done for you if you're Ketlin. That being said, uh, you kind of feel like they're very interchangeable because neither of them is this really huge draw as opposed to, you know, Holly and Misha were. And I think that's what was kind of on the table there for a minute. Now, um, exactly when we get that, like I said, comes down to how fast Amanda comes in. For sure, you got to think that if Irene and Macy aren't too beaten up or you know the winner isn't too beaten up coming out of that one in about a month and some change then most likely you're talking about an interim at 35 i don't even want to talk about 45 uh kayla harrison even in the best case scenario can't even touch the ufc until 2024 so really it becomes another what are we doing you know you have uh norma you have macy maybe but there, there's no, um, yeah, you'd, everyone knows my feelings on featherweight, and I'm just leave it at that. I'm with you. It's just, I'm glad Joe Rogan, you know, mentioned it. He didn't harp on it too much, but after he said it, it did kind of taint the excitement that Nunez was feeling as she's running around with the two belts, and she's telling Rogan, I got, I got, I'm a double champ again. No one's done that, right? Well, right, that's true. <laughs> but... You know, there's also nobody in the division that you're champion of. Um, and so I think out of respect for Nunez or maybe just because it looks good on a poster or in a press release, the UFC and Dana White is not going to strip her of that belt, but it's going to get a little ridiculous at some point. I mean, there's I mean, uh, no, like, viable action. In I'm, that not, I'm not breaking news when I say that the there was genuine salt between Dana and Chris Cyborg and I do believe that keeping the featherweight division even if it is just for the sake of giving uh, you know bringing out another one of those championship belts from storage to put on the dais with Amanda I think is you know that that's really all that's about in my opinion I think that the UFC has shown that um if it is not a highly lucrative fight they are not even interested in entertaining spending more money on the from the budget to sign featherweights i think that's been made clear um in the last several years which is their prerogative 
However, I do understand what you, where you're coming from. Um, look, like I said, let's say Amanda takes out Irene, takes out Macy, takes out Ketlin. Maybe we we can revisit Nunez Harrison in 2024, but for right now, that feels like there's so much between now and then that it's kind of ridiculous to talk about a fight two years from now. We, it sometimes feels ridiculous to talk about one six months from now just because everything right. that could happen, right? So I feel like that would just be a little... It's just a little ridiculous. Anyway, not that it wouldn't be cool. Now, going forward, you brought up interim belts. Brandon Moreno, Kaikara France. I'm going to say it like it is. It did not look good for the assassin baby early. I thought that Kai actually looked like he was doing a great job. And this is his style. He isn't the fastest guy. He isn't necessarily a home run hitter, even though his nickname is Don't Blink. But what he is, he is very good at his shot selection and getting out of the way. He doesn't tend to take too much damage, even in his losses. And even the first fight that he lost with Moreno was very competitive. Some people say that one could have quite conceivably gone his way. We've seen much crazier decisions. Um... I thought he looked great. I thought that Brandon was playing it a little patient. I thought that even... I just thought that Kai was doing a lot of things very effectively. He was keeping it on the feet. He was minimizing the damage coming at him. He was connecting on some good shots and Brandon was wearing it. And then really, you know, not out of the fight. Brandon sees the opening and then bam, body kick right to the liver. As DC said, it looked like the toes just... You know, really dug him right into the button. Kai Car France goes down. Brandon follows up, gets the finish, regains the belt. Um, like I said, was it the beautiful, like, just masterclass he put on Davison in the second fight? No. But once again, you go out there, you give yourself the best chance for victory. Brandon Moreno did that. And we know the way that the fights have gone with Figueredo sets up a great fight. What were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Kai Car France was, was was just staying ahead of Brandon Moreno, and I think was it two or first two rounds. I can't remember when the fight ended. Third round. So the first two rounds, I thought, oh, you know, the commentary team is talking about Moreno doing this great thing and that great thing, but I kept saying, I don't see that. I see Kai Car France just having the advantage the entire time, pretty much the entire time. I was um, interested in in the the conversation though revolving Moreno's. Uh, fight stance it was definitely pulled in a little bit and i think you know you move to a new camp and they give you some tips whether they're, they're good or not i think that was a good tip a good strategy to, to change the fight stance well you know if you think about when you're learning something new and then you have to sort of rush to implement it your brain is is thinking about it the whole time i, I suspect that's what was happening he was constantly having to say oh my stance oh my stance and it, it affected his flow so yeah car france was winning Brandon Moreno just, uh, I wouldn't call it a Hail Mary, you know, it wasn't like Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, but it was definitely something that if he hadn't have done that, I don't know how that fight would have, would have, uh, would have finished a beautiful kick. You know, if you look at a before and after of Kai Carr Francis, uh, you know, ribs midsection there, it was, it went from white to red just with that one kick. So really incredibly perfectly placed and happy to see Moreno win. I didn't like the Davison Figueredo being pulled into the octagon at the end, only because Moreno should have had his time to give his his interview properly, and then he can you know do the face off or whatever. But 
they were both respectful, and so it, it worked out. It's fine. But it just seemed a little bit unfair to Moreno. I think that it was just a little awkwardly set up. Uh, I like that, the, you know, they haven't brought the, you know, whenever you know what's the next fight, like, you know the next fight, they bring in the challenger, whatever, the champion, and it's like, all right, let's get it on now. You know, we we all knew it's an interim title fight. They had that on the poster, I believe. Um, that being said, um, I actually thought it made for a very refreshing type of face-off. I appreciated that Brandon said, you know what, um, I was ready to go out here and say some stuff and make Davison, you know, pound his chest in my face and, you know, get us hyped up for a fourth fight and try to sell it. And instead he said, you know, my daughter's getting a little older. And I really don't want her to go, you know, what turn on the TV and see her dad acting, you know, like an idiot. And I appreciated that. I respected that. I thought that Davison was like, you know what, okay, you know, we're not going to do this. We're just going to, you know, do the stare down and we're going to let each other know that we're ready to dance one more time. Okay. Um, a little different. And like I said, when you could have something a little different, sometimes it could be refreshing. I thought this was... I thought that even though, look, their fights, their saga is not really sold on a personal conflict, like, say, Dustin and Connor, Connor and Habib. So I, I, I was okay with it. I think that um, I'm going to set it up. We know the fourth fight is going to happen. All right, let's just run it. Let's just get it. I do feel, though, that were it any other situation, you'd just be sleeping on everybody. For example, and we're going to go a little out of order, Alexandre Pantoja. This guy has two wins over Brandon Moreno. I believe one was on tough and then one was outside the show. Um, he's beaten Kaikara France. Uh, he just, um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, he yeah, he was supposed to be the next man up for Moreno in January. But he was injured, so the timelines went off. And then uh, Brandon obviously fought Davison again. Um, and now we have it, Pantoja just, let's be honest, he just throttles Alex Perez under a minute. He should be next, but we get it. Brandon Davison, number four. All right, let's do it. At this point, though, what do you do with a guy like Pantoja? Because it's like, I'll say it, in any other world, he should be, uh, you know, the obvious answer. Yeah, he he is the obvious answer, and so you know if you're him and you're and you're watching this uh, encounter in the octagon, you're thinking, oh boy, okay, what do I have to do next? And I guess the UFC must really feel like there's 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 money in this in this um, fourth face-off, or else they wouldn't they wouldn't bother and, and go to the extent that they did with bringing Davidson Figueroa into the cage. You know, that's not a common thing for the flyweight division to have um, uh, something you can build upon like they have with this, with these two guys. So I think they're just going to milk it for all it's worth. And if both of them are game, then why not? I mean, you think in the boxing world, the biggest, you know, fight to go to four was Pacquiao. Um, Marquez. No, Marquez, thank you. And, and that was one where, you know, here they're going back and forth. 
uh, Pacquiao beat Marquez three times, right, officially, even though people thought Marquez had won one or two of those. And then Marquez comes in in the fourth fight, and, you know, we all know what he did. So I think they're trying to do something like that here. And it makes sense, but if you're Pantoja, what do you do? You just stay ready and hope that one of these guys falls out and you get to step in last minute because there's really not much else for him. And is there even a reason for him to risk fighting somebody else? It depends how he's looking at this. You know, some fighters are just saying, I want to get in there and I want to fight. I don't care who it is. Some get to a point where they've won enough that they they feel they really should get the belt or fight for the belt and do nothing else but wait until they get that chance. I don't know where he stands on it, but it it must be frustrating. Yeah, I would just stick with them. Honestly, I say wait. Something has happened a couple times with these guys. I say just stay ready. Um, if you're Pantosha and you're, you're t- you have earned it, you don't have to worry about someone else coming in. I, I would say Manel Cape, who's had, I believe, two fight week cancellations like within the seven-day mark. Um, Pantosha's already got a win over Manel Cape. This, this guy is just... Honestly, I don't think the calendar has cursed somebody as much as um, Pantoja, except maybe Leon Edwards in 2020. Uh, he's just really right there, so I, I think you got to go somewhere with him. Like I said, just wait. Just th- that somewhere is the title. You just got to be a little more patient, Alexandre. You know how much I love saying his name. It freaking just rolls off the tongue. That that man. <laughs> He won the lottery on that one. Oh, yeah. Alexandre Pantosha. <laughs> it's like the start of a telenovela right there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, to go look. So, we have that at flyweight. We had the women's bandweight division. How about at heavyweight? Sergey Pavlovich took the fight to Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis was not down. He was not out. He was hurt. But that's the kind of the point of a fight, no? And... Dana White said it. I get the refs. They want to be more careful because this isn't the little women's strawweights hitting you if you're asleep for that follow-up shot. These are some big boys who could really do lasting damage. Um, Derek Lewis wasn't out, but the fight ended the way it ended. And um, yeah, look, I'm not going to take it away. Sergey Pavlovich looked good. Anybody who looks good against Derek Lewis in the first round when he's fresh... Deserves respect. But that fight, I, I don't even want to say, okay, it's a victory for Pavlovich. That's not even a no contest. That just feels like an incomplete. But that's the fight game. What were your thoughts? Oh, boy, yeah, it was a tricky one because in the initial viewing, you know, when you're watching in real time and you see those shots, a lot of them look like they're landing. Lewis is backing up. And then he just drops almost head first to the canvas, you know, that's the kind of body language that a ref is looking for to step in and stop a fight. He popped right back up. And so, yeah, it looked like he was pretty fresh when he stood up. He wasn't protesting and then wobbling and having to be held upright like we've seen with Whaley Zhang and we've seen with Robbie Lawler recently. You know, that wasn't the case here. He seemed to be pretty much in control of everything, all his senses. And so it was a flash. It, it, the ref reacted in a flash. He saw the head drop, and and that was it. So I see why he did it, but Murgliata. Um, but he should have he should have waited. Just give him a beat because 
this it was it was so fresh they were so fresh and you know it's Derek Lewis you have to take that into account too give the man a little bit of of time he's one of those guys that can recover and come back and really hurt you so it's disappointing and I'm thinking is that the third time that Derek Lewis loses in Texas like have his last three fights been in Texas and he's lost all three (laughs) am I wrong Uh, he lost just yeah no no, he he bounced back against. He he lost to Cyril. He bounced back at the apex. Then he had lost to Ty. Lost to Sergey. Now. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. You know what? I, and I get it. It's kind of like Patty the Batty in London, right? It's like I mean, why wouldn't you want him to fight in Texas? And it they were good fights. Like that, he was winning the fight with Ty until he wasn't. And then the Sergey fight, this is kind of, like I said, I'll call it incomplete. Even Dana said, I felt like that could have kept going, but it is what it is. Um, if they move him, look, he, he draws anywhere. He adds, you know, he makes it more worth your money when he's on a pay-per-view also. So, I mean, let him do his thing. But, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's got to be frustrating to lose in Texas if you're Derek, for sure. Um, and like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, final one I want to talk about, though. Um, Sergey Pavlovich, uh, one of these guys, um, Tom Aspinall, depending on when he recovers or maybe see how things play out over the next few weeks with Cyril, Ty, Curtis, that something's going to happen, right? And you could sneak in there. Just give it a minute, Sergey. You'll have a fight. Um, Magomed Ankalaev against Anthony Smith. In any other world, this would probably be a title eliminator. And I gotta say, uh, I thought both of them looked good. Anthony Smith, and they said this on the broadcast, he looked like he was in fantastic shape. But Ankalaev, um, I want to make it clear, when I say a little bit like a light heavyweight Habib, what I mean by that is that the way his frame, like the way his weight is distributed, is actually more similar to, yes, Habib, but like Jan Blahovich like Stipe, I've heard this reference very well proportioned. Like, he doesn't have really long arms, he's not short and stocky. Um, He's just a very big, very solid athlete for the light heavyweight division. And I was very impressed with how comfortable he looked. Um, Once again, a little similar to Habib, he wasn't out there trying to flow and all that. You know his striking is made to be simple and efficient and to set up uh, his grappling where he's one of the better guys when he gets on top of you at 205 pounds. Um, I thought Anthony Smith came in looking very sharp. I felt like there was still a lot that could have happened, a lot of adjustments to be made after that first round. I thought they were still revving up, tri- landed a few punches on both sides. Anthony Smith, he says he broke his ankle, thrown the kick. He'd said that after the fact, but it was very suspected on the broadcast and it sure looked like it. And then Ankalaev, he was just able to lead the dance from there. Smith goes down, Ankalaev stays on him, gets the finish. Um, Like I said, just there was still more fight to be had, but once again, that's another one. That's just how it goes. I will say, I I thought that Ankalaev was... This wasn't a going bad until it wasn't. I thought Ankalaev, he was very well in that fight that... He very well, the way he was going, could have beaten a healthy Anthony Smith if it went the distance. It just, we never got there to find out. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. We just, you know, these uh, freak injuries 
feel like they're more common than they were in days past, but but maybe not. Maybe it's just uh, it's happening in high stakes fights a bit, Valentina yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a I, mostly my my you know my takeaway is I just feel so bad for Anthony Smith because I don't know, man. I just find him super likable. He seems like a really good dude, and you know, it felt like he was coming back around to to make his way. Um, to the top again and so I can imagine how frustrating this is and you know we'll see what the timetable is but it's uh it's just a bummer because he's you know he's very intelligent you see him on the on the broadcast behind the desk he has a podcast I think he's always uh popping up on my YouTube feed so someone he's he's with the Bisping now okay yeah that's great actually I didn't I wasn't aware um, so, you know, doing the, the, the smart things to build a career post, post-fighting, but, you know, he's Lionheart. He still wants to be, create that legend, that legacy, excuse me. And this is a setback, you know, with the age and the history, like, you just have no idea how long it's going to take. So maybe we don't see him again until the beginning of next year. And that sucks. That really does suck. I mean, what I will say, I, I want to see his uh, obviously heal up. I think that's a very important thing for sure. Um, uh, there's still fights for him. I mean, him and the winner of this Saturday coming up could still be a big one. Um, just depends on the schedule and the calendar. But for Ankalaev, uh, I think the biggest thing is... Oh, man. You... We've talked about it. It seems like even champion Yuri Prohashka said, look, um, I'm looking at Glover Tashira. A lot of people seem to feel like... It, Jan Blahovic essentially implied that he should still be in the running as if there were possibly talks that, um, you know, they were working on him versus Jiri for the title. Uh, you know how I feel about it. You feel the same way. It should be Blahovich and Prohashka. There's just too much Viking samurai violence energy in that fight to not have it. Uh, one good fight deserves another with Tashira and their war. And I know from a business standpoint, you probably feel like you'd be getting Tashira at a great time if you're Jiri. Ankalaev deserves a title shot too. You know, it's like, why can't there be two champions just to be fair? But... I think he just finds himself as the odd man out. I would wait to see where you're at with, for example, uh, Alexander Rokic when he might come back. Um, he, I, I would say the winner, Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill, um, except that obviously Ankalaev just beat Santos. So I think right now, similar to Pantoja, sit and wait, stay ready, but... For sure, he shouldn't have to worry about fighting somebody else if he doesn't want to. I think the UFC knows how good he is. I think the division knows how good he is. I think everyone understands that if someone's out, he's the next man up, and there's no debate about it. There's no, hey, I did this, he only did that. Everyone knows he's there for it. So, I'm sorry, Uncle if you deserve a title shot just like Pantoja. You're probably going to have to wait. Well, do you have anything to add? No, I agree. He's going to have to wait, and, and that's the position that, you know, a lot of fighters find themselves in where, you know, in the in the octagon they perform well, but they're just not 
grabbing the eyeballs that they need to, to jump the line. And so they have to get there the old fashioned way. And sometimes that can take a really long time. Yeah. Um, like I said, he will get there. I think he'll be back to it very soon. Um, I, like I said, he's. I think this is this should just be his second fight of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it might be a bit of a layoff. You don't. Uh, it depends on just how quickly they turn Jiri around. I think people are expecting a December return. That was a crazy fight with Tashira. He's another one. It's like, look, I know you want to see him back already. Technically speaking, he should probably keep it down until about January, February. If we're talking about, you know, uh, prolonging his career in the long run. You know what I mean? So, uh, Ankalaev, stay ready. You could sneak in, but you definitely don't have to take another fight if you don't want to. I'll say it at that. It was a great night of fights. I think people kind of slept on it because of the prelims, but I thought the main card provided just a great amount of action for all things considered. Um, but then before the real good stuff starts happening, this thing pops up on Instagram and Twitter that Mr. Jake Paul, it seems like, you know what, um, I'm reminded of that, uh, Terrell Owens commercial about, like, the Philly cheesesteak, and he, he kind of, you know, makes a parody of when he used to play in Philadelphia, and he said, like, you know, I, you know, I love Philadelphia. But Philadelphia just didn't love me. I feel like Jake Paul loves boxing. But somehow boxing does not seem to love him. Uh, his fight with Haseem Rahman Jr. is cancelled. The entire event is cancelled, not just the fight. Um, long story short, Rahman Jr. Uh, apparently reached out recently to say, Hey, can we have the fight at 215 pounds? Jake Paul... Uh, responded to say we signed on for 200 pounds the most we will um, go up to is 205 Raman Jr. said we're not going to do 205 it's got to be 215 and Jake Paul said we're not going to go that far we're just going to pull the plug now in recent week in recent days now Raman Jr. has taken to Instagram to say hey I reached out no, my body just wouldn't do it. I wasn't going to be able to complete this cut to 200 pounds. He did mention he was surprised like, hey, why doesn't Jake Paul at least wait to see how low I will get before pulling the plug on the fight? Now, this has led to a lot of theories. Dana White saying they didn't sell enough tickets. That's why Jake Paul pulled the plug. People are want to talk about, quote unquote, who did want it. Versus who didn't want it. Jake Paul didn't want it. Haseem didn't actually want it. All this other stuff that usually goes down. I will say. And uh, I'll just give my quick theory to toss it to you. I believe this was a bit of a strategic move by Jake. I think he knew, look, you're not going to make it. And I'm not going to change the contract for you. We're going to pull the plug now for two reasons. One, fairness. You're already coming in, probably going to be 30 pounds bigger than me. Why am I going to give you more? Okay, that's the one. The second one, if you say this fight is going to continue and you let Raman Jr. weigh in, now you have a situation, you've done everything all week, It's gonna. you would rather pull the plug a week out than rather try to pull the plug the day before the fight 
over, let's say Raman Jr. gets to 209. You know, not 200, not 205. Still, you know, that 10 pounds on paper doesn't feel like a lot. So you feel like fans will be like, well, I thought Jake Paul was a real boxer. He's crazy. He's this and that. That puts way more peer pressure on Jake to keep the event together as opposed to pulling the plug now when Raman Jr. has already admitted that he's not close to making the weight. All of this leads to, look, fans were excited. The undercard was ready to go. This is a letdown for sure, but I just feel like there is a little bit of smoke and mirrors behind the scenes. What about you? You know, this this is what happens when you try to like game the boxing game, right? Picking these opponents and so pretending you're you're a, you're in the boxing game, the fight game, right? But you're you're like performing on the periphery and and you're hand picking opponents to pad your record and when you finally get someone that could could put it on you you know you have to find a different excuse for for pulling out so i do agree with you he you know because he didn't want to get in there and have to fight someone that was going to be so much bigger than him you know i'm sure that's what ben Askren and tyron woodley were thinking too but they they took those fights instead of doing that he just pulled the plug uh yeah a week out because Otherwise, it would make it look like he's not a real fighter. He doesn't want to just get in there. He's not a warrior, right? Because how many of these warriors that we admire, MMA or boxing, are willing to get in there no matter what, with whoever? And, you know, Jake Paul isn't that guy. It's pretty clear he's not that guy. And this was going to put him on blast. So he, for his own sake, he did the right thing. But I'm super annoyed and disappointed that it even got to this point because I was actually looking forward to him fighting you know a legitimate boxer and so now it's like we have to wait for you to book another fight with who and how long is there going to be a build-up and there's going to be all this silly drama like just get in there and fight just just have someone match you up with regular boxers in your weight class and just start fighting you know, real real fighters, MMA or boxing, they're going to lose. They're going to win and they're going to lose. And that's part of the game. He's so afraid to have uh, to lose that zero that he's just he's he's just wasting our time. And, and that's where I where I bottom out here. So I feel like our time is being wasted. You built up this brand and now you're just, you know, hiding behind the bushes when you know things get a little bit too real i don't like it um and uh also i partially agree with dana white there probably was a ticket sales uh concern too back to you i mean i, I think that it's a split on a bit of two things um uh, the, the feeling i've gotten because uh, look they kick they had in a freaking fantastic kickoff Triller and all this, right? And, you know, uh, let's just say it. Triller has fallen a bit by the wayside in terms of events that are actually leaving a footprint every when the fights come around in terms of their presence on social media, etc. In the media, you know, it's just... If Triller has had events, most fans haven't been aware of it. Let's just say it like that. 
Um, Jake Paul's not been affiliated with them for a minute. That being said, you know, okay, you know, like these last few, he's done the best that he can. I'm going to give him a bit of credit. I thought that he actually did a very decent job trying to build it, but it's kind of been fumbled out of his hands. What I mean by that, he was ready for Tommy Fury. Two weeks out, Tommy Fury pulls out. We end up with the Woodley rematch that, you know, all intents and purposes, bombed on pay-per-view because people felt like they already knew what they were getting. They weren't really into it. And yes, he got the highlight reel out of it, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, it It did not become everything it could have been because there was no Tommy Fury. I thought they actually set this up pretty well. Tom, um, obviously, uh, oh my god, I am blanking. The Gypsy King, Big Fury. Tyson Fury? Yeah, oh my god, I was so freaking like, why am I blanking? I'm saying it, I see it, why am I blanking? I know it's like freaking forgetting Conor McGregor. Tyson Fury, I, I was like, I'm about to say Tom Fury, and it just, my mind couldn't wrap around it. Yes, Tyson Fury, like, you know, the little brother, you have all of these aspects, you have all of these elements, they've been jawing at each other. Tommy Fury looks perfect for Jake. He's bigger, he's younger, he's got freaking massive muscles, but somehow can't actually do damage when he fights a guy who used to be a Bellator featherweight. It's perfect for Jake Paul. And somehow this falls apart over, you know, go listen to our previous episode. It got a little crazy exactly why it seems um, Tommy couldn't take the fight with Jake. And now you have this happen and it's like... uh, I don't know. It just... uh, I will say this. It is not all entirely his fault. And yes, the novelty of it in itself, I think, has waned a little bit. Not from a lack of effort of his own... But just the way they've kind of built it. I think that fans and companies tried to get in on it. And it kind of actually led to it because... Do you remember the Ben Askren fight with Triller? And how they set up with the music and you have Justin Bieber? It it was a very Gen Z-centric show. It was. And then you have Showtime and it just kind of gets... You know, the pieces were thrown into the Showtime machine. It's Jake... It's Tyron. There's none of the thriller flashiness and fireworks and all that. It's just another high production Showtime show. And that I feel has led to a disconnect because I feel like his events are no longer geared to the audience that he was at. And that the promoter he's with now, even though they are bigger, they're kind of trying to cross him over to the masses that really he is not their cup of tea. And I think that is why these last few events with Woodley and everything do not have the same kind of shine that they did before. So all of that is to say it is not all Jake's fault, but clearly there is some stuff on both sides that is really just uh, this became a bit of a circus and the tent has now officially blown away. Yeah, circus is right. And circus in a way that was different than as you pointed out the thriller the early thriller stuff um because this is the showtime stamp on it and 
this can be this ship can be straightened like you know we can we can get back on course here the brand is still strong for jake paul they just have to pick a lane and so they're kind of straddling both they're still trying to do the thriller energy but in the showtime world and it's not quite working out so maybe he goes back to thriller if that's even possible there needs to be something that that keeps his events looking special because as you said boxing real boxing fans aren't going to respect his presence on showtime even if you put amanda serrano there before him and so it's just when you have a chance to actually fight a boxer and then that doesn't even happen oh yeah but the ship can be righted it just they just need to get a little they just need to get smarter about it they they can't jump full they can't go full steam ahead into the Showtime boxing world. And, you know, maybe he needs to do more silly opponents before he gets back into the, into a conversation with the boxer. I don't know. Let me ask you this uh, yes or no question. Will we see Jake Paul in the ring before the end of the year? Yes. I agree, too. I think it's got to happen. I think that... I will say, I think he's going to try to flip this around. I think that... Okay, he's going to do it right. By the way, I saw that Anderson Silva, I think, is filming a movie. Because I felt like that was one that didn't get discussed about where's he at. I think he might have just been busy. Once again, I could think of no more enjoyable fight for MMA fans than to see Anderson go over there and do Anderson Silva things to Jake Paul. Oh, be beautiful. Um, oh, yeah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But now, that being said, okay, I, I think, um, long story short, He's going to try to turn it around probably around November, December, like he did last year about this time. And um, he's probably going to set it up. He's going to line up his backups. Like, who's here? Who's on weight? Sign some paperwork. We'll kick you some money. All of that good stuff. You know what I mean? I think that's what he's going to do. I think a real telling thing, if Dana White does is right, they will move it from MSG. If Dana White was wrong they will go all in on the garden again, for sure. Now, uh, going back to MMA, on Friday, uh, the PFL returns for the playoffs in New York before they head over to the United Kingdom. There's the rematch between Anthony Pettis and Stevie Ray. Um, Some of the other lightweights and obviously other divisions are there. But I think the big one is Saturday, the light heavyweight clash between Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill. You have the hammer, you have the other hammer who put down Johnny Walker. Jamal Hill was a guy I think he just kind of needed to, you know, he's mentioned this. He's not gotten the attention, but he's also a contender series alum. I think he's the only other contender series alumni besides Giga Chikatsi to win a UFC main event. I think that that's very notable because obviously guys like Sean O'Malley and the others haven't exactly gotten there yet, whether it be with their branding, star power, etc. So Jamal Hill is a guy who's kind of hitting his stride. And then you have Tiago Santos who you look at the fight with Rockich, Tashira, and Kalaev. He's just, you know he's got the power. And it's just like he's fought very patiently in the last few. And maybe that's part of just these heavyweights. Look, those are not pushovers that he was matched up with, right? 
that being said, you kind of feel like the guy who was just wrecking dudes on his way to John Jones probably would have fought those fights differently. Instead, you now have Santos. This is kind of a critical fight if he's going to stay in that conversation or if he's about to get kind of pushed out of that top four convo at light heavyweight. What are your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, this is a, a yeah. This conversation is is I want to say more about, but I'm thinking about Tiago Santos and exactly right. This is going to show us if he still has you know room to climb, or if this is you know coming down on the other side of that hill. I think it's the latter. You know, just looking at the record here, not great after the loss to John Jones. You know, he had the injuries there, so. Losing to Glover Teixeira, to Rockage, beating Johnny Walker, but it was by decision, not to, you know, diminish that. But it's not the Tiago we're used to, the the one that you said came in with this imposing, overpowering the hammer, right? Loses again to Ankalaev, and Jamal Hills, he's the hungry lion. He's on fire. He's he's looking at Tiago Santos as you know the gatekeeper. That beating this name is the one that's going to send you into the stratosphere. So. I think this is going to be Jamal Hill's night. And, um, you know, Tiago Santos, I don't know. It's, it surprises me how quickly he went from being this huge menace, getting that title shot against John Jones to just kind of, you know, fizzling a little bit. Now we've seen fighters have this problem and then they come back. So he could very well, you know, make me, make me eat, um, eat mud here. But, I just don't see it. I think that we've already seen the prime of Maheta, and now it's Jamal Hill's time to shine. I'll toss it back to you, but but that's sort of where I stand before I make a pick, although you can probably guess where I'm going to land. Yeah, I think that this is still a very um, winnable fight for Santos. He hasn't looked bad in these fights. I think he's just literally been that. He's been outfought by guys who use their full skills size physicality all those things it's not like a guy just um it's not like he's losing to guys who wouldn't have given him a problem you know 2019 before the knee injuries in the fight with jones right so i i want to say that i want to go in with that i think for me the thing about the jamal hill matchup is jamal's speed and jamal's size he is very long very tall, but very fast. I think that, you know, he's one of the quicker, light heavyweights. Um, just more gifted with his athleticism in that way. Obviously, I do not recommend any contender at any weight class, really, uh, to think that it's a good idea to get into the pocket and try to bang with a guy like Santos. To that point, I think that Jamal actually has a great game. Use that reach, use that speed, just stick and move them. Eventually, you know, especially as Santos kind of is more patient and tries to start counter-striking, looking for openings, then I think that's a great opportunity for Jamal to push the pace a little bit. However, if you find Santos being more the aggressor, honestly, just get on the bike, use your reach, pick your spots to sit down on them, Maybe even try to test Santos off of his back a little bit if you feel like you could get set up to take down. And I think that that's really the key. Just speed and reach for Jamal. I think that it's his game 
should be able to outwork Santos sooner rather than later. Um, and then for Santos, you really got to just be the aggressor with an all-around game. You got great kicks. Chop away at the tree. Um, you know, bring Jamal Hill down to your size a little bit. Don't be afraid to take some chances because I think that even though Jamal has shown he could put people down, you want him to respect you a little bit if you're Santos. And I think that's going to be the big key if he's going to get the job done against this younger guy. Now, um, what happens? I feel like Santos has gone to decision a few times. And while that does cross my mind, just like he won't leave the opening, so we'll kind of get a lather, rinse, repeat kind of fight. I'm actually going to hold on for the ride and say that's what's going to happen. It's not going to change the script. I think Jamal Hill is going to have a good showing, but it's still going to go to decision. But uh, unanimous for Jamal Hill. What about you? Oh, okay. All right. I didn't expect that. But uh, I do see it going to Jamal Hill as well, but I think it's going to be a little more emphatic, exciting fashion. I think it's going to be a knockout round two. And uh, Santos is still a scary dude, someone you have to be careful with, but I think Jamal Hill is going to find the right combination use his footwork and and able to hurt Santos and get him out of there. All right, and there we have it then. So we are in agreement, Jamal Hill, for the win on Saturday. Also, the Ultimate Fighter finale. So for people who are keeping up, I believe you have Mohamed Usman in the... It's an all-team Pena final in the heavyweight division. And then you have Team Pena's Juliana Miller who I interviewed. I've known Juliana since she was an amateur. I think I, what did she say? I think I interviewed her her second amateur fight. Now she's out there looking to become the ultimate fighter against Team Nunez, Brogan Walker. Uh, Go check that interview out because we talk a lot about not just the show. uh, We've talked a lot about the show, but we talk about life and everything. She spilled the tea on drama with Bobby Maximus, with Chandler Cole. Um, everything else that you didn't see on the show so it was a great conversation i encourage everyone to go look at it and um yeah natalie next week ufc san diego back to sunny southern california which is my favorite thing to hear from the ufc they're gonna have the bantamweight fight between chito vera and dominic cruz what are your thoughts as we head into next week that's a heck of a matchup, man. Those are two two really game fighters, a legend at 135 and Dominic Cruz, and a really just awesome, cool rising star, too, and Chito Vera. So that's one I'm really looking forward to. And, uh, yeah, props to you on, on your interviews, man. Also, Alimalea McFarlane. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I, I got some of it on the Instagram, and that's a really important one, so hopefully people check that out, too. I appreciate that very much. Definitely. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that just the contrast of personalities with Dominic and the way he speaks. And then you got Chito, who just does not give two you-know-whats about anybody and just how he carries himself. I think it's going to make for a great, just great fight week leading up to it, just to see how those guys kind of speak on each other. So it's going to be good stuff. Um, once again, guys, thank you very much for listening. Remember, hit that like button, subscribe, everything else. We're here every week. You guys have a good one, and we'll be back.